Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, we're going to read out of there in just a moment. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And if you've watched the news or you've heard anything going on, you know, you would probably agree with me that this world is in a great need uh, for God at this, at this hour. Amen. You know, there's, there's so many tragedies that have been taking place. And, um, you know, I think many times it causes us to scratch our head and ask the question, what's happening? What's going on? What's going wrong? What, what is the reason for all this? And there are so many opinions. There's so many, you know, talk show hosts uh, tackling that questions and uh, just people from different back backgrounds trying to answer that question. What is happening? Why are things transpiring the way they're going in our world, and, and we're no stranger to the tragedies that are taking place. There's, there's also too many to count, too many to mention these days. There's just so, such tragic events. The question is, what's going on? Why? Why is this happening? You know, we've probably experienced some of these things personally, or we've known people in our lives that have experienced some of these tragedies well, we asked a question, and, and I want to share just some interesting uh, couple statistics here that I think can help us shed some light on what's going on. There's an article, uh, and it was taken a couple years ago, it's from 2019, and it was out of Pew Research, and it was entitled, In the U.S., Decline of Christianity Continues at, at a Rapid Pace. It says in the Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians, okay, 65%. And that number was down uh, 12 percentage points over the past decade. So that number is declining. How many Bible-believing, how many Christians we have in this world, that number is declining in our, in our nation. Meanwhile, listen to this, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population consisting of people who describe their religious identity either as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular now stands at 26% up from 17% in 2009. So the amount of, of people in this country that that are atheists or agnostic or, or not, don't have any religious views, that number is rising. But the amount of Christians, Bible-believing people in this nation, that number is declining. Are we surprised at the, the, the things taking place as we look at those statistics? Like all things, as believers, we have to look at God's word for the truth. Can you say amen? God's word is the source of our truth. God's, God's word is, is, is the answer for every question that we have, and we believe that. We still believe that today, that God's word is still relevant. It's not outdated. It's still relevant. It's still the answer for our nation, for our wor world, for our lives, and for our homes. We must seek God through his word and through prayer to find out the answers to these tough questions and to look at the recipe for healing for our nations, for our communities, for our world, and to give us the strength that we all need right now. Now, as, as we're going to read here in Second Chronicles chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11. Let me just give you the setting here that Solomon uh, was, was ordained by God to build the temple of God, the great temple of the Lord. So uh, Solomon was David's son, and he was responsible for, for building uh, this temple. So as they were preparing to, to do this, the Lord gave them some powerful words. King Solomon, the king of Israel. 
So in verse 11 of chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, the Bible says this. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, here's what the Lord said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. In verse 14, Then if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. This morning, I want to minister a message entitled, If My People. If you could bow your heads with me as we pray and we agree this morning. Father, we're so grateful, God, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty, God, for who you are, Lord. And even though, Lord, we turn on the news and we hear about tragedies and evils taking place in this world, Lord, nothing catches you by surprise. And Father God, we just dedicate the rest of this service to you, my God, that you would speak to our hearts. Father, we lift up this nation to you, God. Father, that this nation, Lord God, would once again turn to you, Father, so that you could bring restoration, so you could bring healing, Father God, that we would all understand that you are the answer to our problems, God. That we must turn our face to you, my God, that we must seek you each and every day, God, as a nation, as a community, as a church, and as individuals, Father, that you would help us, oh God. Holy Spirit, guide us. Give us your instruction, Lord God. Help our hearts to be soft, to receive your word this morning, my God. We thank you, Father, and we thank you for our salvation, and God, for your just unending grace in our lives, and we depend on you. We call upon you in this hour of need, in this time of need, Father. We ask in Jesus' name, and God's people say, amen. Amen. If my people, in verse 14 there in our text, it says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If my people. See, there's condition there. If we want healing, if we want uh, God's strength, if we want his power, there there are some conditions, some responsibilities that you and I have as God's people. And I want to look at this at, at an individual level because as a nation, yes, we need to all turn our face back to God. We need to seek God as our communities, our cities, our state. But it starts with the individual. It starts with you and I. The right start begins with you and I as individuals. We need to take this scripture on. We need to internalize it and make it a personal mandate in our lives. That we would turn our face to the Lord. That we would look to him. That we would call upon him. That we would humble ourselves so that yes, he could heal our land. So he could heal our homes, our communities, our states, our land, our world. It starts with you and I, you and I. It's easy for us to have our opinions about you know, the political realm and, and the opinions about each and everything. We all have an opinion. But you and I have to understand that each and every one of us have a responsibility, each and every one of us. No one is, is exempt in this place. We all have a responsibility. We're all accountable to recognize God's truth in our lives. We have a responsibility to obey his word. 
Yes, we pray for, for breakthrough. We pray that God would, would heal our nation and heal our land, and that should be our prayer. But it starts with you and I taking God's word, reading God's word, internalizing it, obeying it, and following God's word. We must all be accountable. We need to all take the responsibility. We're good at pointing the fingers many times. If they did this, and this would have happened. If they did that, right? But we all have to take an, an accountability, responsibility. We have to ask ourselves as we read through God's word, are we obeying the word of God? As we come to church and we hear the blessed word of God uh, preached over the pulpit, are we obeying God's word? As we hear the, and feel the leading of God's spirit in our lives, are we obeying the leading of his spirit in our lives? You and I, in an individual level, are we doing that? In our schools, in our workplaces, even if it's not popular, are we obeying if it's not the cool thing to do, if it's not the right thing to do in the, in, the, in the eyes of our peers, are we still doing what God wants us to do? Because I'll tell you, it's not popular. Especially in this day and age, it's not popular to do right, to be honest, to uphold integrity. We remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? An entire nation was in, in the act of idolatry, an entire nation. According to every, each and every citizen, it was right what they were doing. King Nebuchadnezzar erected a, an idol, a gold statue that everyone, the whole nation was supposed to, to bow to. And the, and the Bible says that it was a decree, it was a law. When you hear the music, everyone is supposed to bow and worship this idol. See, the majority, they were following it. Even the laws declared and dictated that this was a decree that you had to do this as a citizen of that nation you were instructed and that's something that you had to do but there were a few young men that held the line can you say amen Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they said that that no matter what no matter what happens to us we're not going to do this this great wickedness in the sight of God king oh king even if it's if it's a law if it's something you've decreed we have to obey god's word in church that is something that you and i have to internalize something that we have to hold fast to that we will obey god's word no matter what no matter what and i'll say this even no matter what you're feeling at the moment no matter what you're feeling because our heart our emotions can be going the other way but if we understand god's word and we stand on god's word we're going to uphold God's righteousness and standard in our lives. And we're not perfect. We're not, but we understand God's word, and we have a responsibility to stand fast and hold on to God's word in this nation, in our homes, in our lives. It starts with you and I. We're all responsible, church. It starts with you and I making a decision to serve God, to receive Christ, to stand for Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? I may not have so much control on what, what the next door neighbor is doing or, or, or what my elected officials in my state are doing, but I know I have a responsibility. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in church. If we do that, if we're faithful in that, God is going to be able to move supernaturally in our communities, in our state, in our nation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Legislation is important. It has its place. 
protests, votes, all that has its place. We have to be responsible. Lobbying and, and, and all these different types of things in the political realm, they all have their place. And I believe we have to be responsible as God's people to, to uh, affect change, yes, in our government. But first, it starts with our heart. First, it's a personal decision that we have to make, each and every one of us. Proverbs 4.23, the Bible says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What is your heart chasing after? Guard your heart above all else. There's a scripture in John 21, and in this passage, uh, Jesus had, had, had already died, and he rose from the dead, and, and he was there with his disciples. He encountered his disciples, and he was talking to Peter, and he was telling, he was telling Peter and giving him some revelation about how the end of his life was going to be and how uh, people were going to be leading him and having to guide him. And it was foretelling kind of the death that he would experience. So imagine Peter like hearing this, like, oh my gosh, Jesus is, is, is telling me kind of how I'm going to die and how it's going to go. So what did Peter do? Peter, uh, he wanted to kind of pass the buck. He wanted to look at, at this disciple. Well, Lord, you're saying that about me. Well, what about him? What are you going to do in their lives or how are they going to end? But listen to what Jesus said uh, in John 21, 21. Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me, he says. As for you, Peter, follow me. It doesn't matter what he's doing, what she's doing. It doesn't matter who you see come, who you see go. It doesn't matter who stands faithful or who retreats. It doesn't matter. He says, you, as for you, you follow me. And that's God's word for us today. Well, pastor, my friends aren't following you. Everyone's gone to the wayside. But Jesus says, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. Well, Lord, it's not popular. No one's doing it in my school. It doesn't matter. What is that to you, Jesus says. As for you, you follow me. Lord, in my workplace, people are involved in all kinds of things, and there's lying and cheating, and there's all kinds of sin going on and wickedness. What about them, God? When are you going to bring change? What is that to you? As for you, follow me, he says. Follow me. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility, church, that we follow God no matter what. And in that, God can move powerfully. And I believe that is where the change begins to take place. That's where I believe that this nation begins to bring its focus back on the Lord. Why? Because individuals are saying, yes, Lord, I'll obey your word. The right start begins with you and I on a personal level. It begins in our lives and in our homes. So what's the recipe for redemption in this nation, in this world? What's the recipe for redemption and finding our way back to God? And in Psalms uh, chapter 119, there's a powerful passage here, something that, that's always ministered to my life and I've always looked back to. And listen to this, Psalms 119 verse 9, uh, starting in verse 9. It says, how can a young person stay pure? Another translation, how can a young man cleanse his way? By obeying your word. Verse 10, I have tried hard to find you. Do not let me wander from your commands. Here the writer is saying uh, to the Lord, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 12, I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. 
I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Wow, that's so powerful. The writer is here is just looking up saying, Lord, I look to your word. I'll study your word. I'll study your decrees. I'll rejoice in your laws. I'll, I'll study and see what your commandments mean. Isn't that refreshing this, this morning? That is the answer to our lives. If you want to see change take place in your life, we have to embody and obey this passage. We have to take on the same attitude and spirit of the writer here in this passage. We spend so, many, so much time reading about this and that and seeing whose feed or who's doing what and, and looking on social media, right? All that has its place is fine, but... Where are you and I spending our time? What are we focusing on? See, here there are some very key words here in this passage. In, in verse, uh, verse 9, obey God's word. We have to take God's word. We have to obey it. It's good to understand it. It's good to read it right. But what are you and I doing to obey God's word? How is it affecting our lives? How is it affecting our decisions throughout the day? Because we're here in church, right, for a couple of hours. We're praising God. We thank God for what he's doing but what about when you go back to your job or when you go home or when you go back to school? Are we obeying God's word? The writer also says in verse 10, I have tried hard to find you. Are we, are we trying hard to seek God? Are we looking at his scriptures? Are we trying to understand God? Help me to understand what I'm reading. Speak to my heart, Lord. Change my heart. Are we trying hard to find God? Are we seeking after him? Do we hide his word in our heart so that we might not sin against him? Do we praise God and worship him? Recite aloud his regulations, proclaiming God's word there in your home, there at your, at your job or there, wherever you're at, reciting aloud God's word. It does something to you and I. Rejoice in his laws. Or do you think God's laws are a bummer? Man, what a bummer, man. I just read the scriptures convicting me. Now I can't do this. Or I can't go here. Or I can't do that, right? That's what the flesh would say. That God's word is holding you back. That God's word is just, it's just a bummer over your life. But God's word is setting you free. God, God's word is keeping your foot from evil, from destruction and death. Rejoice in his laws. Study his word. Delight in his decrees. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for Lord, for your instruction, for the instruction that you gave me. Lord, I know that you're trying to save me, that you're continually helping me. Delight in his decrees. It's a recipe for, for redemption. Now let's go back to our text in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I want to look at a couple elements there in that passage. So what is God saying? First of all, what stands out to me is that he's saying if, if, if my people will humble themselves. Humility, church. Be humble. Have a humble spirit. Understand that you and I, that we can't do it without God. That without God's strength, we can't accomplish it. Without God's strength, we're not, we're not going to make it. We need God's strength. We need God in our lives. Understanding that we have to stay humble in his presence. That God, without you, I can't do it. God, without you, I'll fall flat on my face. God, without you, I don't have the wisdom or the instruction to do what you've called me to do. But Lord, with you, all things are possible. Isn't that true? This morning, humility, Matthew 5, 3, 
the Beatitudes, the Lord says this. Jesus says this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Another translation says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means less of us, more of him. If we're full of ourselves, then, then what room do we have in our lives for God? If we're full of our, our strengths, our accomplishments, our accolades, our abilities, all the things that we can do, me, 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 is there room for God? But when we're poor in spirit, when we want to just pour ourselves out and say, God, less of me. If there's less of me, Lord, there'll be more of you in my life. That we have to be poor in spirit. We have to depend on him. And the Bible says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I want that in my life. Do you want that, church? Man, I want the kingdom of heaven in my life, in my heart. I want the kingdom of heaven directing me and instructing me. So humility. What else does this text say in, our, in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14? It says, pray. We must pray. As an individual, together as a family, as a church, as a community, as a nation, we must pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Bible says, pray continually. Always pray. The Bible says, another translation is, pray without ceasing. You have issues going on in your, in your life. There's needs. You have family members that, that you're believing God for. Continue to pray for them. God's working through your prayers, even if you don't see it sometimes. Even if you don't understand it, even if it looks like things are getting worse, continue to pray. Pray always. Pray about your job. Pray about your unsaved family. Pray about your children. Pray about the things going on in your own life. Pray about your marriage. Pray, about, uh, pray for wisdom in our lives each and every day. Pray about everything and constantly pray. When you're feeling anxious or worried, about something that's coming up here in the near future, pray about it, give it to God. And those prayers will work. The prayers of faith will work. God will continue to work, but we must pray always. Seek my face, Isaiah 55, 6. Well, then in our text, he says, seek my face. And we look in Isaiah 55, 6, the Bible says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Seek him. We know what it means to seek, right? You're looking for that, that best, the, the next restaurant that's going to be your favorite, right? You want to seek a good meal? We know how to seek. When we want something, we know how to seek. We know how to go online and find the answers for these things. We know how to seek. We know what that means. But the Bible says, seek God's face. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. And in all this, we understand that our answer, the answer for this nation, for this world is Jesus. Isn't that right? Jesus is still the answer. He's still the answer for our lives. He's still the answer for our situations. He is still the answer for our nation. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's in Jesus. It's in no one else. Now, I know there's something called a PC. You've got to be politically correct. Oh, and many will say there are many avenues to God. You can find your own way. Maybe for some people it's Jesus. For others, it'll be someone else. But no, the Bible tells us, and I'm not saying it, but the Bible tells us that it's in Jesus, and this life is in his Son. Look at it in verse 12. If there's any question, this will, this will handle that. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. It's plain and simple. Jesus is the answer. He is the one that we need to serve. He is the one that we need to seek. He is the only way to God. It's in the name of Jesus. 
So we understand that the right start, it begins with you and I. It's a personal decision that we all have to make. And that no one else can make for you. It's an individual decision that you have to make. Your parents may be serving God. They may be on fire. They may be on their way to heaven. But I'll tell you what, one day you're going to stand before God alone, and you're going to have to answer, and I'm going to have to answer individually. We thank God for our parents. We thank God for whoever led us into the kingdom, right? Whoever shared the good news, praise God for them. But it's a personal decision. Each and every one of us are going to stand before God and have to give an account. So the right start begins with you and I on a personal level. We read the recipe for redemption in Psalms 119 about hiding God's word in our heart so that we might not sin against him. And I think as I, as I prepare to close this off, I think one of the biggest things that we have to look at, and I think one of the biggest things that's most overlooked in this nation, in this world today, in this passage, is the last part of it in this, this first part of the scripture in, sec, in our text, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right? We talked about humility. We talked about prayer, about seeking his face, right? Good. Many would like to just stop it right there. The last part before that comma is so important. It says, and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn. I think this is a part where many in this nation have forgotten and have wanted to throw, throw out the window. To turn from their wicked ways. Why? Because the flesh loves wickedness, doesn't it? The flesh loves to just do what, what feels good. Whatever makes you feel good, there's a mantra out there, right? If it's good for you, do it. If it makes you feel good, do it. Follow your heart. So many songs written about that, right? Whatever's right to you, follow it. Go for it. Whatever feels good to you, no one else could tell you about your life. Whatever feels good, go ahead and do it. But that's the biggest lie. My brother and my sister, that's the biggest lie. We have to turn from our wicked, wicked ways and turn from their wicked ways. There's a passage in uh, Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, before Jesus began his, his three-year ministry, God used him as, as a voice of one crying in the wilderness, right, to, to make straight the path for the Lord, to prepare the people's hearts so that when Jesus come, they would be ready and it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, in verse 2, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent of your sins. God did so many powerful things while he was here on earth in his earthly ministry. But it's no accident that the message that came before Jesus started preaching here on earth was to, for the people to repent of their sins and turn to God. Repent. Repentance is something so powerful and important that we can never overlook it. What's the definition of repent? It's the action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. Being sorry for what you've done. Understanding that our sin separates us from God and then, Lord, we're sorry for our sin. Help us to forsake our sin and seek you in righteousness. We have to repent. The Bible says, turn from your wicked ways. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is ministering right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're battling with. Perhaps you've been following God. You're, you're trying your best to serve God, but there are certain things that you're fighting against. Repent. Turn to God and he will heal you. Amen. 
Amen. Turn from your wicked ways. There's another passage in John chapter 8. This shows so powerfully about God's grace, right? Sometimes we have a concept of God as being fire and brimstone, right? If he's just waiting for us to, to come to him so that he could just bash us over the head and tell us of all the things that we did wrong. But we see God's grace here, grace and truth, right? The balance here from the Lord Jesus. And John, uh, this is a passage where the woman was caught into an adultery. In the very act, the Bible says. So we understand the story where her accusers begin to surround her and they're ready to stone her. According to the law, she should die. They were ready to throw rocks at her until she died. Imagine that. Makes no mention of where the man was, right? They, just, they, they, caught, the, they caught the woman and they were, gonna, they were just going to lay her out and they were going to kill her. But here is Jesus. He began to write in the sand, right? He says, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they begin to drop their rocks or stones, and they departed. They left. And Jesus said this in verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, imagine, she was close to death. She was probably in turmoil. She was probably so ashamed. She was probably afraid that she was about to die. All these things were going on in her life. And here was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the righteous one. Here was God, ready to talk to her. What was he going to say to her? Where are your accusers, he asked. Didn't even one of them condemn you? The Lord could have said so much at this point. He could have brought judgment. If anyone had a, a stone to throw, he did because he was perfect. He could have said anything, but what did he ask her? Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Condemn you? In verse 11, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, God's grace and God's truth, right? God's grace and truth. That's so powerful. God's grace and truth. God's grace that he didn't kill her, that he didn't stone her, that he didn't even accuse her. He said, neither do I. But it's followed up with the truth. Go and sin no more. See, if he said, I don't accuse you, then, then, and that was it, then many could justify their sin. Oh, Jesus didn't condemn me, so, so I can do whatever I want. No, he says, go and sin no more. See, this is God's gracious word and truth to, to you and I, church. Go and sin no more. Why? Because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be bound by things that are going to hurt us, destroy us. And we've all seen the effects of sin in our lives, in our loved ones' lives, right? What it does. Jesus says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but don't, go, go and sin no more. Don't give in to that. Don't do it. There's another passage in John chapter 5 where Jesus healed the man who was paralyzed, Jesus told him in John 5, 8, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. And then in verse 14, as we jump there, he says, but afterward Jesus found him in the temple. He found the same man that he healed, and he told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Do we see the importance of repentance, church? God's saying, if, if you sin, if, if you're continually sinning, Jesus is saying, it's, it's not going to hurt me. But he says, stop, stop sinning, lest something worse happen to you. See, God cares for us. He loves his children. He doesn't want us to enter into anything that's going to destroy our lives. It breaks his heart. So he gives us the instruction, stop sinning, lest something worse happens. We must all make the Lord God God of our hearts, so that this nation can turn back to its rightful place and follow after God. 
The Bible says in Psalms 33:12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can you say amen? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. If we want to be blessed as a nation, we're going to have to turn back to the Lord. As the worship team makes their way up, I want to share one last passage as we prepare to close. You know, I was, uh, I worked there in Santa Fe Springs, and I was driving back home, and I was passing um, uh, York Field. It's a little league uh, baseball field there. And it was so cool. It was at the end of the day, and the kids, you know, I was just there at the signal, and I turned over, I looked to my right, and the kids were all getting ready. They're in their uniforms, and they're getting ready to, to, play, to play some ball, to play some baseball. And I'm, at, I'm just at a red light, so this happens in, in an instant. But I look over, and what do, what do I see? I see all the kids there in the middle of the field. What are they doing? They've stopped practice, and the coaches are right there in the middle. And what are they, what are they doing? Their heads are bowed, and they're praying. Man, it was such a refreshing sight, right? We understand that at, at church events, right, we, we start things with prayer. At, at, you know, in Bible study, we start everything with prayer. But it was such a refreshing sight to see when, we see, when I saw this, this little league team Beginning the game with prayer. See, all is not lost, church. There are still people out there that, that understand the importance and the power of prayer, right? There are still people of God that understand that prayer is something so powerful and important. I think of the little league that, that uh, our kids just recently got through. They opened up their games the same way, in a prayer to the Lord. I thank God for that. And that's something, church, that we should never lose. I understand that in city council meetings, they still open up with prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for that. See, there are people still holding on to the power and the importance of prayer. It's so important. We have to continue to do that. It starts in our own lives, continues in our homes. And as we're faithful doing that, being that example, I believe that it's just going to trickle up and it's going to be an example to this nation so that this entire nation can begin to bear fruits of repentance and turn back to God. So that these tragedies, that we, these evils that we hear about will begin to diminish, that, that it's not something that's going to become the new norm. We don't want that. We have to contend. We have to try to establish the kingdom of God around us, church. And we understand that this world one day is just going to burn away. We understand but God still wants to save people. And how is that going to be done? It's going to be done through you and I, through our testimony, and through our stand for righteousness. We must ask and seek God back into our lives. And as a result, we pray and understand that he will come back into our nation. For he is the answer. Jesus is the answer, the healer of all, all the pain that this nation is experiencing. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one that can bring restoration. So as we close this morning, I want to share a scripture in Psalms 24. The Bible says this, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure and who do not worship idols and never tell lies. It will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, 
The Lord, invincible in battle, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King of glory. I believe that's the prayer and the declaration that we should make for this nation. Open up your gates. Let the Lord back in once again. Who is the Lord? He's the King of glory. He wants to come and bring healing and redemption and salvation. Open up your gates. It starts with you and I, church, opening up our hearts and opening up our lives. We all have a responsibility, and we have to be faithful in that. So this morning, we understand that it starts on a personal level with you and I. We understand that there's redemption as we see God in his word. We understand the importance of turning, of repentance in our lives. And as we do that, that our prayer would be fulfilled, that the King of glory would enter once again back into our schools, back into our, our jobs, our, our workplaces, back into our homes, back into this nation, back into this world by letting the King of glory enter. Thank you, Jesus. Church, if you could bow your head, we're going to prepare to pray this morning.